Welcome to the Solstice Space Podcast. I'm Dawn Hafner, and I put this podcast together as a place for us to come together, work on our soul, connect to ourselves, to experience meditation, growth, and have deep conversations about how our spirituality, our soul path, our journey is played out in life, in work, and in our relationships. So I hope you'll join me for some meditations and some interesting conversations. Have a wonderful day full of presence. And remember, we simply can't do this without you. You're more important than you can ever, ever know. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Dawn. I thought what I would do with this podcast is get on and go ahead and just go over what is meditation, kind of what I do for meditation and mindset 101 when I teach those kind of classes. Um, So I know you've had a lot of guided meditations on the podcast so far and then the interviews, but I thought I'd just kind of go over some of the benefits of meditation and how to do it. Um, There's a lot of people that think that there's a right way and a wrong way to do meditation. So I just kind of want to give you a little bit of my thoughts on that. So settle in and then just kind of um, take a listen. This won't be a guided meditation, but rather just a teaching. So first of all, the list of conditions that can be improved by meditation, just so you know why you're investing your time in this. Meditation has been proven to reduce stress, improve mental clarity. It can decrease both depression and anxiety. It can boost your immune system. It can reduce pain and inflammation in the body. It can assist in healing chronic diseases, and it actually decreases the effects that aging has on the brain. There was actually a study done recently of a group of 50 year olds that they had meditate for a period of time. And it wasn't long. I think it was only about 12 to 14 weeks and doing about 15 minutes of meditation a day. And they changed the structure of their brain physically so that it looked more like the age of a 25 year old brain. So it actually changes the gray matter in your brain. What percentage of the U S population regularly meditates? If you want to take a guess, it's actually been increasing. So the current statistic in 2017 has it at 14.2%, which is a threefold increase from the prior, um, statistic on that, which I think was 2015 numbers. So it has been increasing a lot, which is great. So it has a lot of benefits to it. So one thing I always like to kind of point out to people who are first coming to this work is just how most humans start their day. So most humans start their day. And when you wake up in the morning, you might enter that period of, you don't even know what day it is. You're just feeling this, this inner peace. And it usually only lasts for about one second before you finally realize what your problems were yesterday. And I call it picking your problems back up. There is a time in there that you don't actually remember what your problems are or that you have any, or that you have anything you have to do for that day. So there's a very brief sliver there where you're just being, but what most humans do is we wake up and thoughts start rolling around in our head and we find ourselves grabbing onto some thought problem, concern, or worry that you had yesterday. And what happens is we replay what could happen, what did happen, or what should have happened in our head, and it just circles around and around. 
Now, keep in mind that humans are the only species that we know of anyway that can create the environment of stress through thought alone. And we can knock ourselves out of balance with just our thoughts. So animals, they are instinctual. I mean, they respond to things with fear, like they have a fight or flight reflex, just like we do. We have fight or flight. But the difference is that we put ourselves in fight or flight just by pushing our thought button. So we turn it on voluntarily. We also make up our thoughts and they're not actually real. So we're basically making up things and then deciding to be terrified of them or depressed or anxious and then putting ourselves into that fight or flight status. And what the problem with going into fight or flight is that it doesn't let your body go into what's called rest and digest. So there's two, on a super simple basis, there's two modes of your nervous system. One is fight or flight. That's when we are being chased by a tiger and we have to fight for our life. That doesn't happen anymore. And then the second one is rest and digest. So that's things like sleep, repairing our immune system, repairing our cellular structure, all of that goes on in rest and digest. So when we spend all of our time racing through these super stressful thoughts and put ourselves into fight or flight, then our body can't rest and digest and repair. So I want you to think about your thoughts as just voluntarily pushing genetic buttons to trigger stress. And our bodies aren't made to handle stress 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That adrenaline rush, that cortisol that just floods our body, we are only made to handle that at particular times when we're really threatened, not 24 hours a day. The other thing I always like to go over with people is some of the rules of the brain. So when you start to wonder why you can't make change in your life, you know, say you want to put into place a new health habit or diet and exercise routine, something that you have as a new year's resolution, for example. And why is it so hard to get those things to stick when we decide that we want to make a change? One of the rules of the brain is it likes to keep everything the same. So your brain considers that if you were alive yesterday, then we should just repeat what happened yesterday. And so that's why it's so hard to make change. So even if yesterday wasn't exactly what you are consciously choosing, it wants the same homeostasis because it believes that that was related to your survival. So your brain really likes to keep things the same. And it also likes to take the easiest path possible with the least amount of energy. So this is why sometimes you'll slip into a subconscious mode when you're doing things like that are root routine. So like brushing your teeth or driving to work, you'll slip down into that subconscious zone where you're just kind of on autopilot. And that's because your brain likes to take the easiest path possible with the least amount of energy. And your brain also wants to avoid pain at all costs. So what this means to you is that yesterday, if you were angry or depressed, your body is literally craving the same hormone cocktail that you made yesterday. So when you're trying to turn a new leaf, start to think positive, you're fighting a little bit of actual physiology within your body that is seeking for the same hormones that you produced yesterday. Your body wants to keep alive and well and is searching and seeking for those hormones that you already produced. So the other thing that I want to point out that we are up against as humans making change is that subconscious brain that I mentioned. So although you might consciously decide to eat better, 
your conscious brain only operates about 5% of your behavior and your subconscious brain operates the other 95%. And our subconscious was actually programmed between the ages of about two and 14. So it can be really hard for us to make changes with the conscious brain when we have so much subconscious programming going on. And that's part of what meditation will do for you is it gets you into that subconscious level of brainwave and allows you to create change in your brain that will allow you to not just make change with your conscious mind. So one other thing I always like to go over with people and just kind of ask yourself this question is how long is your, what I call refractory period? So the refractory period is a space between an event in reality and when it releases its effect on you. So for some people, we live in a refractory period of days. You could have had something that really made you upset two or three days ago, put you in a bad mood and a funk, and you've held on to that for two or three days. So that's your refractory period. How long have you held on to the event and then kept that in your thoughts and being and have it affect you still on a current basis. So when we have repeated feelings for years, we start to believe that that's who we are. So if you have experienced a period of insecurity or depression, some people you might even hear label themselves with those words. So instead of saying, I'm feeling depressed, they will actually say, I am depressed. And we start to identify ourselves with what we're going through. So I love to tell this story. It's called the two monk story, and it will help you remember what the refractory period is and to look at that in your own life. So a senior monk and a junior monk were traveling together. And at one point they came to a river with a strong current. As the monks were preparing to cross the river, they saw a very young and beautiful woman attempting to cross. The beautiful woman asked if they could help her cross to the other side. The two monks glanced at one another because they had taken vows not to touch a woman, ever. Then, without a word, the older monk picked up the woman, carried her across the river, placed her gently on the other side, and carried on his journey. The younger monk couldn't believe what had just happened. After rejoining his companion, he was speechless. An hour passed, without a word between him. Two hours passed, then three Finally, the younger monk couldn't contain himself any longer and blurted out, As monks, we are not permitted to touch a woman. How could you then carry that woman on your shoulders? The older monk looked at him and replied, Brother, I set her down on the other side of the river hours ago. Why are you still carrying her? So I just love that story because it just speaks to what we do as humans. We pick up negativity We hold on to certain thoughts or events, and then we choose to torture ourselves by carrying them around. So what meditation will do for you is create some more space in that so that it's not that nothing will ever bother you, but you will have a lot shorter refractory period. So the pendulum won't swing as far. You won't get two to three days out of whack before coming back. You might get just a few minutes and then you realize that you're off center and then have that ability to come back to quiet. The other thing I always like to mention for people starting in this mindset and meditation area is that science also shows us that 50% of our past memories 
are actually not true. We literally make them up. So even though you have a belief in your heart of how something happened or who said what, there's a chance that 50% of it is accurate and the other 50% is completely inaccurate. They've done this a lot, for example, with people that were around during 9-11 that will swear they were standing in a certain location to watch it. And then we're able to prove that they weren't. And they're not intentionally lying. That's actually what their brain recreated as a memory for them based on either conversation or news footage, you know, whatever they believed. So what is happening then with all of this? So all of these thoughts that are rolling around in your head, um, what is true is that when we're living in those thoughts, we're not living in now. So when we're attached to our thoughts, addicted to our thoughts and repeating our thoughts, it takes us out of the present moment. So we're throwing precious moments down the drain instead of being present. There's things that we're not noticing that are happening around us that could help us on our journey or ways that we could help other people, but we're stuck in this thought loop. So meditation can help you with that. So the other thing to consider is if negative thoughts can make you sick, Think about what positive thoughts could do for you. Think about the healing in the body that that could do. And if you haven't watched the documentary called Heal, H-E-A-L, it's on Netflix, I would highly recommend that. It is an amazing documentary about the power of our mind to heal our body. A few more things I'll go over on this podcast. Um, Remember that thoughts are not bad. We're not trying to cancel out our thoughts or punish ourselves for thoughts. They aren't even really that personal. So although we think thoughts occur in our head and they're very personal to ourselves, you will find that everyone has very similar thoughts. So in doing mindset work with people, a lot of times I'll have people write down what their negative voice says to them at its worst time and we'll collect all those papers and then I'll shuffle them up and read them and you would be shocked to hear how similar that voice sounds to every single person in the room so that voice that's in your head that's pushing you around that's being negative other people have the same voice and it sounds very similar so I would just encourage you not to think of that voice as so personal and unique but more just something as humans that we pick up on and that we can choose to let go of. So what meditation does is create a space between you and your thoughts so that you aren't so wrapped up in them, you aren't taken away with them. And this takes practice and showing up. So what meditation has given to me in my life over the last 10 years is this ability to distance myself from my thoughts and emotions and be a lot more objective of them and not get spiraled up and eat up days just getting into these thought loops. I also like to teach people that we have two voices in our head. The voice we're most familiar with is the ego voice. And I like to give a picture of water with both the ego voice and then the voice of intuition will be the second one we talk about. So this comes from Jess Lively's work. And the ego voice, I want you to think of like a fire hydrant that is broken. So it's on the corner of the street, it's broken, it's noisy, the water is coming out violently, erratically. You can't even use the water if you wanted to because it's so erratic. So that's a lot like the ego voice, the voice in our head that's never satisfied. It's always separating us from other people, 
blaming ourselves, blaming other people. It's shaming. It's fear-based. It's a lot like that spewing fire hydrant, out of control, forceful, but unable to grasp or use any of it. As opposed to the other voice that we have, which is our intuition or our higher self, some people will call it. So this is, I want you to think of it like a well of water. And the thing about a well versus the fire hydrant is the water is still. You also have to go to the water. It doesn't come to you. It's not shouting at you. You have to go to the well and then drop the bucket and ask for it. So that voice that's calm and quiet, wise, simple, and true is always there. We just have to get quiet enough to hear it. And that, again, is what meditation will help you with. So one other thing on meditation that's super interesting, you can research it a little bit if you like. It's called the Maharishi Effect. And there's some published research studies that when 1% of the population in a certain geographic location practiced TM meditation, that's transcendental meditation, it's a particular type, that they could prove that crime rates decreased significantly in that area. So I think one of them was New York City, and they had a group of practiced meditators get together and meditate in at a certain time, and then they measured the crime rates for the next 24 hours, and there was actually a decrease. So that's the power of the energy that's created through meditation. It actually can affect other people in your space too. So the final thing I'll go over on this podcast is how to meditate. A lot of people think that you have to sit uncomfortably with your back straight and your legs crisscrossed on the floor. And I don't teach that at all. I want you to be comfortable. However, I don't want you to be so comfortable you fall asleep. So I started learning meditation actually laying down. I used to tack it onto a workout. I would stretch and then I would meditate laying down. So you can be seated, you can be laying down, you can sit with your back supported by a wall or a chair, or you can sit without a back support, whatever is comfortable for you. You want to be conscious and alert, but not that you're going to fall asleep. You can close your eyes, or you can have a soft gaze with your eyes just focusing on something downwards below you. You can do meditation silently. You can choose to focus on sounds in your atmosphere, such as a refrigerator running or the sound of your light maybe buzzing softly. You can do guided meditations, which is what we have on this podcast, where you listen to someone else's voice. You can turn on instrumental music. You can do chanting music, where you can choose to chant with the music or not. So all of those are options. There are many types of meditation, focusing on your breath, focusing on a mantra. There's no good or bad session. So you never get up from a meditation and say that was good or that was bad. Um, There is no good or bad. It's just you showing up for what shows up for you. And that's the practice. So if you're meditating, for example, for 15 minutes, and 14 minutes is your to-do list circling through your head, that's not a bad session. That's what was supposed to show up for you. If you show up and emotions come to the surface and tears come to the surface, 
then that's what was supposed to show up for you. And it's perfect. So meditation is not clearing our minds to have no thoughts. We're humans. We're going to have thoughts, but it is showing up for whatever shows up for you and learning to accept that. And that's the practice. So some tips on your thoughts. I like to teach, and I think this is from Headspace, and I love this analogy. If you think of your mind as the blue sky and think of your thoughts as clouds. So if you have no clouds, you have a clear mind and a blue sky. And then when you notice a thought come in, just imagine it as a cloud coming into your space. You notice it, but you don't have to grab onto it. You don't have to follow it. You can just notice it come in and then notice it come out. And then another one comes in and you notice it come in and then you notice it leave. So you don't resist it. You don't get upset about the presence of the clouds. You just simply notice. So hopefully that's helpful on why we do meditation, what it can create in your life. And then just to know that you're not doing it wrong. Um, you just show up and sit still and quiet and then just accept what comes up for you and it will create a really big difference in your life. It's a lot like going to the gym and working out. You're not going to leave one time and notice anything different in your body, but over a period of time, you will notice that you're handling situations differently and that you have more of a feeling of peace and ease especially over situations that perhaps before would have triggered you into more of an emotional response. So hopefully that's helpful. And if you have any questions, as always, reach out to me. You can find me on my website, which is dawnmhafner.com. You can follow The Solstice Space on Facebook and Instagram. And then just continue to tune in here for more meditations and teachings and interviews. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.